we had gone last week and I was sharing and all of this started from just reflecting on the fact that we don't know what our life will be like tomorrow. That's what James said in his book as he was rebuking people for, for arrogantly planning their futures. And I have been sharing really what is our life's testimony, not in its entirety, but from the time we made the commitment that our lives were going to transition into full-time ministry. And we have seen very clearly, you don't know what your life will look like tomorrow. And that has played out in our lives. But as I had covered last week, I had actually gotten up to the point of talking about what occurred Time flies. It's been over a year ago. It occurred probably in August of 2011. And we had gone through the other issues that we talked about and issues with Rachel's sickness and the housing issues in California and the lawsuit that occurred. And, and we were very thankful because the Lord kept showing himself faithful. And we were making it through. The, the housing issue finally was resolved in January of 2011. And then the bank proposed a, a final settlement of all issues that was shockingly favorable. What I proposed to them would have been much less favorable to them, but they didn't want to do it. They wanted to do their own deal. And... I just look at that as the mercy of God, because what I was trying to do with them that they rejected would have, would, have, would have done what I thought was right, but the bank wanted to do something else, and it worked out well. And so there was a little bit of breathing. In fact, Debbie was going to be the kindergarten teacher at Lakeside that year. Christine was going to start school for what was really a year early, and there's a variety of reasons why that was occurring, but... Life seemed to be stabilizing. And then Debbie, it's one of those sovereignty of God issues, in college had learned how to do a self-breast examination. And there was a device that they could use, and the device had a something that if you felt it, it was like, okay, this is what cancer feels like. And in August of 2011, Debbie remembered what that felt like in the college training that she had had, and she knew that something was up. And so she went for a mammogram, and not surprisingly, after the mammogram, they referred her to a breast cancer surgeon because something wasn't right, and they needed to do a biopsy. It was all God's grace that she had learned how to do a breast self-exam because she had had a mammogram the previous December. So she had just had one less than six months ago that was clear, everything was fine. And God in his sovereignty, and I know it was God's sovereignty because we didn't know anything about breast cancer, directed us to a surgeon, Dr. Catherine Allen, over at um, Morton Plant. And I'm used to doctors who are cryptic, who say, well, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And Debbie and I went to that appointment and... She looked at the, she could pull up the mammogram, she could look at all the things, she could see the current mammogram, the old mammogram, and she said, you know, we need to do a biopsy to know what's here. And I think I had to go pick up one of the girls or something like that, so I was going to be there for the biopsy, I wasn't going to be there for the completion of it, and I said, well, you have any idea? I said, I assume you can't really tell right now, and she's like, no, 
I think I can tell. So I'm pretty certain you have cancer. Just experience tells me that's the case. And that was a little startling because I'm not used to a doctor who so quickly, she said probably 60% I would say you've got cancer. And shortly after that, we got a phone call. The biopsy had come back. And in fact, Debbie had two types of cancer in her right breast. And probably a year ago, I could have told you the exact types. Now I, I don't remember the exact types. But it was not, um, it, it was not what we were expecting. So once again, you don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. We experienced that again. And we obviously had to make some decisions at that point. But one of the first things that we realized, and it was a true blessing from the Lord, was that our girls are going to get to see our faith. They've heard about it since they were born. Since we could talk, they've heard about our faith. Our girls, and Christina was so young, we didn't think fully that she'll comprehend. But Rachel and Heather are old enough, and so we knew God was giving us an opportunity to show the girls that we believe what we believe. That it's not just words, that mom and dad haven't just come up with something, but this is real. This is what we have banked our life on. So the first people we told were Rachel and Heather. Again, Christine didn't really understand what's going on. She just knew mommy was sick. But we were able to sit down with Rachel and Heather and explain to them that we don't know the outcome. We don't know what's going to happen. We know mom's got cancer, and at times the outcome's pretty good, but at times people can die. And we don't know. But we know that God is in control, and God is sovereign over this, and so we're going to face it and trust that God is going to do the very best thing for our family through this process. And our girls, I think, responded very well. They were upset to an extent, but I think they were taking their cues from our reaction. And God was very gracious to us because we really, we really do believe what we believe. And it was very clear early on that God was with us, not because of anything mystical. We just, we just knew God had given us faith and it was very wonderful. The surgery, many of you would know at that point because you were praying for us. And the surgeon had told us that when the surgery occurred, they would take some of the lymph nodes and test them right then. They had a test they could do while she's on the operating table. It's 80% accurate. And if there were no lymph nodes testing positive for cancer, they would immediately bring in a plastic surgeon and do the first stage of reconstruction because there was going to be a long process of reconstruction. The... If the cancer was there, they wouldn't do the reconstruction. They would just stop and deal with, excuse me, if there was cancer in the lymph nodes, they would not do reconstructive surgery then. They would wait. And so Dr. Allen came out and said everything looked good. The lymph node was fine. Dr. Buck, another um, surgeon who had been very gracious in this, Dr. Jennifer Buck, came in and did the surgery, and everything seemed very positive. Debbie came through it. They, they, everything was good. And so we were in the hospital for a couple of days, and everything was seemed to be turning a corner again. The first stage of the reconstructive surgery had been had occurred at the same time. One last time for Debbie to go under anesthesia. 
And then we got a phone call that said, this was one of those times that 80% accurate test wasn't accurate. They had done more testing, which they do in this case, and they did find cancer in one of Debbie's lymph nodes. And I'm not a medical doctor. Some of you would have far greater knowledge than us. But they have all kinds of tests for breast cancer. There are a lot of types of breast cancer. They do all kinds of things. And one of the things that they said was, it's in one lymph node. Obviously, it has spread some. But we're going to do a test. And, and this test we found for your type of cancer is very accurate. And based on your number on that test, if you're below a certain point, we don't do any treatment. We don't do chemotherapy. Statistically, we've done enough research that tells us if your number is low, the likelihood of this cancer coming back is not that high. And, and, and that will be that. And then there's a, a midpoint number that is sort of on the fence of whether they do it. There'll be some decisions to make. And then if you're above that number, they know statistically the likelihood of the cancer coming back is high enough that they need to do something else. And normally chemotherapy is what they're going to do. And so we had already come out on the wrong end of the one 80% accurate test. That wasn't particularly positive. And then Debbie had the other test where they tested the cancer. And we sat down with the oncologist, now the third doctor in the rotation. And when he looked at her number, he said, that's the second highest number I've ever seen. And that's not, high is not good in that circumstance. And so the likelihood of Debbie's cancer coming back was very high if we don't do something, which meant chemotherapy suddenly came into the equation. And by this time, we realized once Debbie had to start chemotherapy, she couldn't continue at Lakeside. There was no way to go through chemotherapy and do this. And so we once again decided, once again realized this journey that we thought was turn the corner, we're, we're not where we thought we were on the path. And so Debbie prepared and chemotherapy started the two days before Thanksgiving. I think it started on a Tuesday of that week. They wanted to have one day in case there was a bad reaction. And Debbie was in a, was asked to be in a clinical trial because of the nature of her cancer. And, and we were going to be getting an experimental drug. We got put into that part. And she was going to be getting extra chemotherapy. The standard treatment was four treatments. Under this regime, they were going to do six. So it was a long-term process. To They're constantly looking at how to dial back the bad chemotherapy they get. That, bottom line, chemotherapy is clobbering your body. They, want to, they don't want to give a woman any more than she has to to deal with the cancer. So we knew we were facing six treatments, one every three weeks. And we realized, again, that God was giving us an opportunity to, to live out our faith. And we weren't looking forward to chemotherapy. I, I wasn't looking forward to seeing what it was going to do to my wife. And yet we also knew it was going to be an opportunity for us to spend a lot of time together. And it was going to be a good time. We... Debbie had read in a book about this couple that went to breakfast every day of their chemotherapy treatment, and we decided we were going to do that just to spend good time together. And it was a it was a great time. How's that sound? It was a great miserable time for Debbie and I. 
Because God has given us an opportunity daily to trust Him. You, you realize pretty quickly there's nothing we can do. I mean, you choose chemotherapy, you don't choose chemotherapy, you choose surgery, you don't choose surgery, but at the end of the day, you realize the Lord has numbered our days. And that is always true. This type of trial just reminds you that it's literally true, that that's not just something to talk about. And you realize another thing very quickly is that Debbie was very young to be going through this, because when you go into the chemotherapy rooms... Almost all the people were very old, and it gave us a lot of compassion for them. There were a lot of people suffering, and in the scheme of things, I think Debbie would agree. Overall, she did very well through it. I mean, it obviously had obliterated her hair, and um, that was when I got a crew cut that um, I actually enjoyed having for a while, but um, God was gracious. Debbie's sisters gathered together, and... Debbie cut her hair. She's got a sister who um, cuts hair. And they had a hair cutting party. And all of Debbie's sisters cut their hair and sent it. There was a lady that makes hair pieces for chemotherapy people. So all of Debbie's sisters contributed their hair. And it was Debbie's real hair. So it was a family um, ministry to Debbie to provide hair for um, making hair pieces. And... Debbie's hair started falling out when I was already scheduled to be in Honduras. Um, My friend Lorenzo was there, and that was... I wish I had been there. That's a minor thing. Losing hair is not... It's just not that important. But it was disappointing that I wasn't there. Now, terrified Rachel and Heather... Christine loved it. She was pulling out pumps and chasing her sisters with it. She's five. She doesn't know. So. Rachel and Heather were freaked out and Christine was having a ball. So, um, God gives you those moments of levity in the midst of these things. But Debbie got through the chemotherapy. And it was brutal on her body and she spent a lot of um, uncomfortable days. By the same token, we were surrounded, and it's all God's grace, by very compassionate nurses, compassionate doctors. They did a good job of prescribing medicines to stop Debbie from getting as sick as a lot of people get. It was really, for a miserable time, God was very gracious to us. And we got through it, and and now the issue is just they'll keep testing They test her blood. They get a baseline test right after chemotherapy. And for the last year, every three months, she would get more testing. Um, March will be one year. She had her last chemotherapy March 8th of last year. And they've just now gone to every four months. But basically, she takes a medicine that she'll take for 10 years. And now it's just a matter of waiting. We still don't know. The, The cancer she had, again the high likelihood of her parents. The chemotherapy plus the medicine she's taking is supposed to keep it at bay. But we just won't know. In fact, we will be probably living under this shadow for the rest of our lives. And, and that's okay. It's just a reminder we won't get complacent because we don't know what tomorrow holds. Now, thankfully, every test Debbie's had so far 
the blood work has been fine. She'll have another test in a month, month or two. I lose track of where they are. But basically, they don't do the body scans until a certain marker in her blood work goes up. And if that blood work marker goes up, it's an indication tumors may be growing. And then they have to do the body scans and the PET scans and whatever other kind of scans. As the doctor said, those contain radiation in them themselves. You don't want to subject somebody to that unless it's absolutely necessary. And so we will we'll wait and see. God has been gracious. We were able, I think, to really have a lot of wonderful discussions with Rachel and Heather. We were able to, and it's purely by God's grace, not because of anything in us, we were able to show them a lot of what it means to live by faith. Because we had to live by faith because we don't know the end. We don't know the outcome. We only know... That right now, God's been gracious, and Debbie's still here, and I pray that that will be the case for many more years, but we don't know. And the blessing is, we don't have to know. We don't have to worry about that. That's why the Bible says, don't be worried about your life. Don't be worried about tomorrow. Each day has enough worries of its own. So coming through the cancer, last spring the chemotherapy finally ended, and unfortunately, and this was poor planning, I had a crazy summer lined up. I was going on two missions trips, plus I helped out with youth summer camp, plus there was another week of camp that Heather was going to with Hannah King, which made our summer crazy, and, and yet it felt like we were turning the corner again, that God was at least giving us a little bit of a respite from any more dealing with cancer. And we pray that will continue for a long time. And then the things that happened after that seem insignificant by comparison, but once again our trials weren't, weren't over. And last summer, I don't know, many of you probably remember, there was a tropical storm, spelled differently but named Debbie, that came through. And on one Sunday, it dumped a lot of rain on us here. And we live over in Safety Harbor off of Enterprise. There's a, a development that was built in the late 70s. We just are one of the track homes in there. And I came back from a meeting. We had a meeting about the France team. Um, and Jesse was on that, on that trip with us, and my daughter Rachel was going. We were coming home. When I opened the garage door, I noticed there was some water in the garage. And I thought, well, that's odd. It's really raining hard. I opened the garage door and water came in. Well, something happened. And I never did find out why. But our neighborhood started flooding. And at first, it was a curiosity of like, oh, isn't that interesting? There's some water in the garage. Then I looked back out and it's like, hmm, there's more water in the garage. And by the time the water stopped rising, we had nine inches of water in our garage. But our house was completely surrounded by water. And it was rising fast. Our backyard was a river. Our pool didn't exist. We looked like we had a fence in the middle of a river. And there was a real possibility. It was about that far from coming into our house. Our house, is, house has all hardwood floors from when we moved in. And it occurred to me that after everything else, we might lose all of our possessions to this. 
because if that water breached the gap, there was nothing we could do. And I remember talking to Ben Kreloff on the phone, and he was like, is there anything we can do to help? The water had come up in less than an hour. At that point, it was over. There was nothing to do. You couldn't stop it. It, was, it literally surrounded our house. And so we unplugged all the electronic stuff. I had Debbie and the girls pack bags. I was just praying and being reminded that all of our stuff isn't important. The only thing I was trying to get was the computers because that has all our family photographs on it. But I was sitting there and I was remember thinking, all of our stuff may be gone. But I also remember thinking, and I think all of the other trials prepared us for this, Lord, none of it's going to happen with us. So, I can't comprehend what is in store for us if this water goes another two inches, and, and it was rising very fast. And I remember praying, Lord, this is all your stuff anyway. And I'm not sure how we're going to deal with this. By God's grace, by the way, we do have flood insurance. A lot of people don't carry it. It seemed like a small thing to me to carry it, and we're not required to have it. But I knew I had flood insurance, but I also knew losing everything and having our house gutted is not what I want us to go through right now. This is not what um, I'm looking forward to. And I attribute it as an answer to prayer because there was no human explanation for it. The rain was still pouring down, and then the water stopped rising. And so it flooded our outdoor room where we had some exercise equipment and a lot of Christine's toys. That room had about three inches of water in it. Like I said, there was about nine inches in our garage, which ruined a lot of stuff, or refrigerator and things like that. But God was gracious and spared the majority of our possessions. And... God again showed himself faithful. The whole point of the story, though, was just having to realize how transitory everything is, including all of our possessions. It can be gone, and people have experienced that with other hurricanes and other storms or tornadoes. And it was just a reminder not to get too attached to our stuff, because our stuff isn't going to last. It's not going to be there for all eternity. And I like a lot of our stuff. That's not the point. But we realize, Lord, this is yours, and you've given it to us, and you can take it away. And if that had been the first thing in this line of events that happened, it might have been a little more rattling. At this point, it just didn't even seem like it was anything. Um, Okay. So, God was gracious. By and large, the insurance paid the claim now. It winds up being like 60 cents on the dollar by the time they wipe out deductibles and depreciation. Some gracious men from this Sunday school class came over and fixed our fence. Part of our fence got washed away, and they came over while Debbie and I were gone, and and they built a whole new back fence, which is such a blessing to us. But it just was, again, a reminder. We don't know what today brings. Even when we thought things were settling down, you know what? The Lord just keeps... I won't say he keeps throwing curveballs. They only look like curveballs. The Lord's just playing out eternity as he ordained it. Now, that wasn't the last event. Um, I actually got ahead of myself. I think I got to look at Debbie's. Debbie and I independently had each prepared our own. No, this is right. Um, 
No, it's wrong. That was in June of 2012. You know, one of the things when Debbie was diagnosed with breast cancer is they said, do you have any family history of breast cancer? And it really wasn't. Um, there wasn't any. There was an aunt that was farther away that had had some. But in May of 2012, after Debbie finished chemotherapy in March, Debbie's mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. So the family history now is littered with breast cancer and everyone is on the alert, but Debbie's mom wound up having a double mastectomy right around that time. Um, Debbie's mom was a great blessing to us, as was my mom. Our moms came and stayed with us almost the entire time Debbie was in chemotherapy. They, they would rotate. They had a little schedule worked out and one of them would come here and then the other would go home and they would vice versa. And just that quickly, Debbie's mom had to go through breast cancer. And she had to go through chemotherapy as well. She started that in August. Debbie could tell her what to expect because she had just gone through it. And, and Debbie's mom is doing well right now. She did great. And she made it through. But that was another thing on the horizon. I kind of got that out of order because that occurred. Then the flood occurred in June. And then the final thing, and again, that sounds, when you, when you deal with possessions, they seem very trivial compared to when you're dealing with your child hurting or your wife being sick. And it is trivial, but it is part of life, and it's the things you have to deal with. We got through the flood. Most of the work to repair everything is done. And then in November, I played basketball after Sunday night church. Some of us play rich plays, and I, um, well, I come down here and run around with the guys. I don't know if you call what I'm doing playing basketball, but there's a basketball game going on when I'm running around, and I got home, and, and um, Debbie said, I need you to look at something. Something doesn't look right, and... We have hardwood floors. Like I said, when we bought our house, it had hardwood floors. And the floor on the back of the girls' bathroom was discolored and obviously wet. And we found out over time that what had happened was our bathroom was leaking in the walls and we didn't know it. And so by the time we figured it out, it had damaged the hardwood floors, it had damaged the walls. Once I started doing the demolition, I found out that the original tile had been put in incorrectly, so our bathroom was covered with mold and mildew. It was black and disgusting. But i got to tell you, it seems silly to even mention this now, because that didn't even seem like a trial anymore. Our bathroom's still ripped up, and it's not finished, and there's still a lot of work to do. Again, insurance provided, and the hardwood floors were replaced, and some of the bathroom work is done. But it was just another reminder that we never know what's going to happen. So through all of that, it's been a period where we've learned more in the last probably 10 or 12 years, and particularly in the last 5 or 6 years, we've learned more than we would have ever thought possible. I kind of you know, I don't have written out notes for all of this. I just jotted down a few things. But also jotted down a few things as far as what we learned in the midst of this. 
And again, I, I don't have any desire to put any emphasis on Debbie and I. That was my only concern in sharing any of this is I don't want us to be the focus because the real issue is the sovereignty and faithfulness of God. Because at every turn, at every trial, God has been there. That doesn't mean that God answered every prayer the way we wanted the prayers answered, but it does mean that God has not forsaken us. One of the things that Debbie and I reminded ourselves of over and over, and we shared this with our girls, but Debbie and I did a lot of, we had a lot of good time together just as a couple throughout all of this. And particularly when she was diagnosed with cancer and she and I were talking about what do we do next, who do we tell first, what do we share with the girls, the, a thought went through our minds and we talked and it wasn't one of us saying it to the other. The Lord impressed it on both of our hearts as we realized right away and this has an overarching application to everything. As we thought about it, from a human standpoint, the worst thing that could happen with Debbie's cancer is that she dies. I think I had I've mentioned in other contexts, my dad died of cancer when I was in high school, and it was an eight-month process from the time he was diagnosed until the time he died. It was very quick. So I realized that every outcome of cancer is not a happy story. But as Debbie and I talked, we knew right away what's the very worst thing that can happen. Debbie would die. That's a good thing. I don't want her to die. But we realized the very worst thing from our mind's standpoint is not a bad thing at all. She would be with the Lord for all eternity. That is a perspective that is incredible. I don't know how unbelievers go through trials. I assume that's why people drink. I assume that's why people do drugs. I assume that's why people just drop off the face of the earth and quit living life. Now, in confession, I've joked a couple times with Debbie, let's just buy an RV and leave. And um, we can always stay a step ahead of things. But we don't really mean that. We just uh, joke. But God is real. The trial didn't teach us that. We knew that. We just were able to experience it on a different level. And to be reminded that ultimately our life is not about this earth. It's not about our health here. It's not about our possessions, whatever they are. It's not about our financial status, which at one point was very good and which at most of the points since then, has been very bad. None of that is ultimately significant. What is significant is the fact that for God's children, we have a promise, whatever transpires, if we die, we are with the Lord. That has sustained us over and over and over again. If I didn't believe that God was sovereign, that God was in control, I don't know what my reaction might have been, but I do believe. And I believe God has given me faith and He sustained us. So what did we learn? 
I jotted down just a couple of things, and it's not exhaustive. And part of the challenge of trying to share from my heart was I didn't want to write things out. And I'm thankful that I've controlled my emotions better this week than last week, and I apologize for those distractions because I don't like being emotional. But one of the things that became crystal clear is that God is wise. Now, what do I mean by that? God chooses the best way to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. I would not have picked any of our trials. If you asked me to map out the last 12 years, I wouldn't have wanted a long delay of going into ministry. I wouldn't have wanted to lose all of our financial resources. I wouldn't want to have to depend on other people. I wouldn't want my daughter to be sick. I wouldn't have wanted us to have two miscarriages. I wouldn't have wanted Debbie to get through to get cancer. And yet the wisdom of God says that every one of those events is the very best thing that could have happened to us. And I really believe that. Even though I wouldn't have chosen those things, God uses every one of those trials to shape us. You know, James doesn't say, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. He doesn't say that just because it's a way to cope. He tells us what is God doing when that's occurring. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. I think our faith has been tested. And it says it produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect results, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Here's the point. Today is February, what, February 10th? I am the man that I am today because God wanted all these events to occur to make me what I am. And however many days or weeks or years the Lord gives me on the earth, He's using these trials to make me more like Christ. And he's doing the same thing in the life of my wife, and he's doing the same thing in the life of my children. And he's doing the same thing in your life with your trials. He's doing the same thing. He's bringing these trials not to make us despair and not to make us run around like the world and say the sky is falling. He wants us to be like his son. He loves his children. And so when God chooses to bless us with resources or when God takes away those resources and when God blesses us with help or God takes away those helps or when God blesses us with children or when he takes away those children he knows what he's doing and whatever the trial even if you can't understand it even if you can't fathom it even if it makes no sense to you humanly understand God is choosing the very best thing for you. He's not making mistakes. He didn't fall asleep. Our life didn't spiral out of control to God's surprise. He always planned this would be the case. The only reason it's even considered a trial is because we think things are going to be different. So we've seen the wisdom of God. I wouldn't have chosen our life to turn out this way, I wouldn't trade our life with anyone. I think another obvious thing that we've seen is that God is faithful. 
His faithfulness doesn't look like what we expect at times. We went through several years of financial hardship that I would have never guessed we would have ever endured. That wasn't what I ever thought about our lives. In fact, if you'd asked me, I would have thought the one thing we never will have to worry about is finances. And yet the Lord, I don't think it's like Job. I never put myself in his shoes. But all of what we thought was our financial security is gone pretty quickly. And yet God continued to provide. We never missed a meal. Except by choice. We didn't lose a place to live. There's been a roof over our heads. Now it's caused me to be humbled. Because I don't like receiving assistance from people. I love to give to people. It's probably the, the biggest difficulty in in having our financial reversal is the inability to give to others because I enjoy that so much. But beginning even while we were in seminary, we had to learn that the Lord sometimes provides through the gifts and help of other people. And He has done that over and over and over again. Even though I don't want to be in that situation, it hurts my pride. But I had a wise friend who's a pastor who was trying to give me some money and I didn't want to take it and this was back even when we were in seminary and he asked me he said do you enjoy giving to people like of course I love the opportunity to give and help out a brother and sister in Christ and he said and it was a very wise thing he said it hurt my pride which is what causes me pause but he says, then why would you deny that blessing to people that want to help you? And so one of the ways we've seen God's faithfulness over and over and over again is through the generosity of his people. There's a part of me that hates it because it hurts my pride. But I think by God's grace I've got to the point where I realize And it was probably one of the hardest lessons that I had to learn. I can't control things myself. And so if the Lord takes away, I've got to be willing to accept how the Lord provides. And so the Lord has been faithful. At times it's been small things of somebody might just, somebody stop by with a meal once. And at other times we've received generous financial gifts. And we've had family members who helped us out. And we've had other things that have occurred. And what we've seen over and over again is that God is faithful. And we've seen that even in Rachel's illness. Her arthritis didn't go away. But God has sustained her to allow her to resume an almost normal life. And God has provided the medicine that was needed and God has provided us with the ability often through the gifts of others to purchase the medicine that we needed and God's been faithful to her and he's been faithful to us and God was faithful when Debbie was going through her cancer he encouraged us and he sustained us and he surrounded us with people who were praying for us 
even after it was initially announced, there were several women in our church who had gone through breast cancer, even in the Sunday school class. And they came up to Debbie and they rallied around her and were encouraging to her. And that's all evidence of God's faithfulness. We weren't going through this trial alone. And we see God continuing to be faithful. Whatever the outcome of the trial, whether Debbie's cancer comes back or whether it stays away, whether Rachel's arthritis goes away or whether she lives with it the rest of her life, whether we have help, whether our finances improve or whether they get worse, God continues to show that he is faithful. And part of the way that you see God's faithfulness is to look at what God wants you to look at. Matthew 6, 34 says, So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And that's part of how I see God's faithfulness, is to not look at tomorrow. Because I still can worry. I still wonder. But for today, God's providing, and that's what he wants us to focus on. I marked out one more thing that I'll say that I've learned through this trial, and I'm out of time, and I apologize for being long-winded about this. But one of the great blessings that the Lord provided us is that we went through this trial at this church. These trials at this church these various things that have occurred even in the last five and a half, almost six years that we've been at Lakeside, Lakeside is a loving church. We don't do things perfectly. We don't always greet new visitors perfectly. We don't always treat each other well. We don't always do the right thing. We stumble and bumble along sometimes. But we have felt the love of Christ since we've been here, whatever the trial, through the brothers and sisters that the Lord has surrounded us with at Lakeside. And so some of you have been here a lot longer than me. Some of you have not been here that long. Let me assure you, one of the ways that God shows himself faithful is by surrounding you with brothers and sisters who care for you. We've had people that prayed for us. We've had people that are offered to do things, even when we haven't always accepted, people have gone out of their way to want to offer it. And I don't think it's just because we happen to be on the pastoral, that I happen to be a pastor. Just seeing that God is at work at Lakeside. And amongst His people, when people are hurting, God's people here respond. And I know many of you have experienced that, but let me encourage you if you haven't. When there's a trial, as hard as it is, let the people here at Lakeside know about it. We didn't always share with everyone what was going on in our lives. And I think back through it, probably there's some wisdom in that. Probably some of that was still my pride that I didn't want people to know and I didn't want us to become a center of attention. But let me encourage you, don't suffer silently. If you have issues, if you have trials, let us know about it because you're going to find that when we know about the needs of hurting brothers and sisters, this church responds. 
the Sunday school class responds. And so let me encourage you to be vulnerable with the people here at Lakeside. Being vulnerable may mean that you get hurt because somebody may not respond appropriately. But it also is the means that God can use to allow the body of Christ to minister to you. I can tell you, even as I'm saying this, it's a struggle for me because I don't want to be ministered to. I want to serve others. And if you struggle with that, if that pride grips your heart, pray that the Lord would make you humble so that you can share your concerns and your needs and your struggles with your brothers and sisters. Because this is a lovely place. And people want to help. But if we don't know the struggles that each other is going through, and again, I'm speaking as someone who has not shared as much as I should have at times, let me encourage you, don't follow my example in that regard. But be vulnerable. Let us know what's happening. Let us have an opportunity to show you God's love. Let us have an opportunity to help you financially. Let us have an opportunity to pray for you. Let us have an opportunity to visit you in the hospital. Let us have an opportunity to bring you meals or to take care of you. Let us be Christ's ambassadors on earth to our family. I can assure you, because it's true with us, whatever trial you're going through, there's always somebody in a worse situation. Don't let that stop you from asking for help. Because God wants to help you as well. So, I hope that this has told you a little bit about who it is that stands up and teaches on Sunday. I hope it's an encouragement and that it draws your attention to Jesus Christ. I would suspect it was over five years before I ever did this that I probably won't ever do it again because I want to go back to teaching the Word. That's what my heart is. That's what I would rather do. But I pray that the Lord will use this to work in your hearts. He certainly is working in mine and Debbie's hearts. And so I thank you for listening to me. I thank you for bearing with me. And I pray that the Lord will use this somehow to encourage you when you face trials of your own. Let me close this with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your sovereign work in our lives. Pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters that as we each face trials, you would strengthen us and encourage us. And Lord, I, help, I pray that you would help us as your family to respond with love to hurting brothers and sisters. Lord, help us overcome our pride or whatever else occurs that keeps us from asking for help. And I pray that as we hear of brothers and sisters in need, we would respond in an appropriate way. Lord, we've been the recipients of those responses and I thank you for it. I thank you for the blessings that this church and this Sunday school class and so many brothers and sisters in Christ have been to us as we've gone through trials. And I pray, Lord, that as your family we can be vulnerable with one another. And Lord, I pray that you would, in all of this, strengthen us 
as your people to show a lost and dying world how to respond to the trials of life. We pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name.